starting a new series that is called Change Your World. And it's that premise that I talked about earlier is that God never called us to be a people that is selfish with our faith. That we would say, well, I found Jesus. He changed my life. It's really cool. And I'm just so happy I'm going to heaven. And I hope good luck for everybody else. Like God never said that, right? He said, I want you and your life to be changed and know the goodness of God and how good it is that he changes your life and that his spirit is living and dwelling within you and making changes, but you're supposed to go tell other people all about that. God's heart is that none would perish, that we would all turn to him, but he's giving us time on planet Earth, me and you as believers, as followers of Christ, to go and change people's minds, to bring them out of the darkness of the world and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen for that, 9 a.m. service? We got to get excited about this. So this whole series is about how do we change the world? Um, ordinary people change the world. That's the title of today's message is that God likes to use ordinary people because the world is messed up. It's hurting. We've got disease. We've got sickness. We've got violence. We've got crime. We've got just confusion in this world. It doesn't even have to be something evil. It's just that people don't really know why they're here and what the purpose of their life is all about. Look what the word of God says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. It says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Now, let me just clarify that for you, because some people are going, what do you mean Satan is the God of this world? Well, if you read in scripture, it's the small lowercase g, God, not the big G, one true God, Jehovah, our creator, our, our, our once and for all high king and priest. It's not that God. It's saying Satan is the small g God, meaning a lot of people uh, of, uh, gave, give their... Uh, their interest to him, they're influenced by him, he does have power to a degree. Like the Bible tells us time after time again, watch out because Satan does have power. And God for this time in this season has given him dominion over planet earth, right? It means he's real, he has influence, but we all know that as Christians, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world, right? So we know that, that we have authority over the stuff that the devil that Satan tries to throw at us, but he's very real and he's cunning and he's smart. And it also says in scripture that one of his greatest nicknames is the deceiver. That means that just like me and you, we're, we're not impervious to the attacks of the enemy. That we as Christians, we're walking down the, the road in our life and trying to do good things and, and something comes along. Not the obvious thing that we would say, oh, that's evil. But how many of you guys know that he comes in those subtle ways, those little whispers, those little temptations, those little things that suddenly we find ourselves, ah, oh, why did I just say that? Why did I hurt that person? Why did I get into that thing that I know I'm not supposed to be doing? How did I get led astray so easily? Because Satan does have influence and power, and he's very active in this world, on this planet, in this, on this earth, and he's trying to throw us off and pull us away from God. And so we got to be aware that he's there. But the good thing we have going for us is that because we have God, because we have discernment of the Holy Spirit, we are a lot less capable of falling, not, not impervious, not, not, we're not perfect. But we know that we have someone in us that guides us and leads us. We have the word of God. We have strength that we can overcome. And the light has gone on in our lives, the light of Jesus Christ. But look what it's saying about this world around us is Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So what it's saying is we as Christians, the light has gone on. Like, we know Jesus. We get it. We read the word of God. It makes sense to us. The message of, of the cross and the message of, of the Bible is no longer foolishness. It's foolish to those that don't believe. But we have the inside track. We get it. And we're like, whoa, this is really, really good. But now here comes the calling. Time and time in scripture, God says, now that you know, you're supposed to do something with that. 
that the first thing that's gonna happen to us when we get to heaven is God's gonna say, what did you do with what I gave you? With all that you knew, the knowledge that you had, the love that you had, what I expected of you, what did you do with it? And so we're supposed to be world changers. We're supposed to go out there and share what we have because the world is blind. Our friends, our family members, all of us, right up until that day that we said yes to Jesus Christ and the light went on, we're in darkness. Now, we're not ever going to be a church that says, all those that don't know Jesus, they're sinners, they're going to hell, we're going to judge you, we're going to make you feel bad. That's not our heart. We know that anybody that doesn't have Jesus in their life, that there is a very real place called hell and a very real place called heaven. But we're going to be the kind of church that says, they're not bad people, they just don't know yet. Can I get an amen to that? Like our friends and us, before we found Jesus, we're not evil, we're not bad, we're not out there to just ruin people's lives. We're born sinners, but we just don't know that there's a better way yet. And so we're going to love the people around us in our families, our workplaces, our schools, our lives, into saying, we found the light of Jesus Christ, and it's a light of hope and good news and purpose for our lives. And so we're going to go love people into the family of God. Is that good? And so it, we're called to be these type of world changers. But I want you to know this first and foremost, maybe write this in your notes, is that God specializes in using ordinary people to change the world. Like, you need to know that. When you read the Bible, you think in your head, like, it's all about the heroes and the guys that have mighty faith. And it's only kings and it's only prophets and it's all these guys. When the majority of the time who God picks is the kind of people that are just really normal, ordinary, average, sometimes below average. Can anybody relate to that? You feel a little below average in here? Here's what I think about God, the beauty of God and his message is he specializes in the ordinary or the less than ordinary because I think he thinks it's so cool for God to like look at, look at any of us. Like I, I really think God gets a kick out of like, Carl, like you, look at you, who are you? And I'm like, I'm nothing, God. And he goes, exactly, how cool would it be if I used you to go light up the world? That would be funny. Everybody would trip out on that because look at you. And I'm like, you're right, God, that makes such sense. That's amazing. And that's what God says is I can use normal, ordinary people. In fact, I like to because it blows people's minds that the world can be changed through normal, ordinary people. And anybody in this room right now, you feel pretty normal, pretty average, pretty ordinary, or less than? How many of you guys feel extraordinary? Let me see those hands. They line up like, how many of you guys just don't even want to raise your hand in church because you're just, okay, right, I get it, I get it. That's fair, that's fair. But listen, here's my story. I don't know why I'm a pastor today. Every single week, I look in the mirror, and I think a miracle has happened. To put me on stage, to talk to a bunch of people, to be a part of a church that is thriving and growing and touching the community and the world around them, and God is moving, and the Holy Spirit is here, and that's great. Why me and how me? Like, I grew up in Kailua. I was a C-plus average kid. And how many of you guys know when it comes to Cs, that plus makes a big difference, right? <laughs> Where's my C students in the room right now? Come on, average. You're average, right? You're not above average. You're average. You're not below average. You're average. And God loves to use those kind of people. And he says he can do some really cool stuff. And I was just a surfer kid from Kailua. I went to Kalahale High School. Like, I don't know how I got here. Like, I don't know what happened. And every week, I feel like a walking miracle. And this is like, God, are you sure? Is this a prank? Like, am I being, am I being like, watching? You're going to, like, just mess me up or something? And the reality is God's going, no, I love that. I love to use normal people to shake up this world. And if you feel less than average or normal today, let me just give you hope is that God's got his eye on you. And he expects that you can do some cool stuff in the world around you. And we're going to live and make our God proud to say, we're going to be world changers, God. And we may, not, we may not be able to do everything, but we're going to do something. And so that's the whole premise behind this series. And we're going to look at this guy. Um, 
in the Bible that was just honestly an average guy. His name is Nehemiah. He has a whole book that's, that he wrote. It's a story of kind of a slice of his life. And we're going to be in this passage, uh, the, the book of Nehemiah, for a couple weeks now. But it's this guy named Nehemiah. Now, here's the thing about Nehemiah, super ordinary guy. He was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He was not a warrior. He was not a king. You know what his job was? He was a cupbearer for a king. His job was a normal guy. He wasn't anything big or lofty or like uh, respectable um, in his position because basically he was expendable because his job was to, every time the king was served wine, that he was to taste the wine. So some of you guys are going, hey, that's a pretty good job right now. Don't raise your hand. You're in church. But some of you guys are like, yeah, that's all you do, drink wine all the time. Yeah, yeah, sign me up, right? So he had a really high-paying job, but it was a super risky, terrible job. His job was to test the wine before it was served to the king, drink the wine, and if Nehemiah died, then the king would go, oh, that's, that's poison, so I better not drink that, right? And Nehemiah's career is over instantly. So he had a risky job, but it was a high-paying job, and he had access to the king, but he was a normal guy. Because if he was anything special or super or anything else, why would they give a job where the guy could die any single day? Too? So he was just a normal guy. But here's what's so cool is that he saw a need. And this is where I'm getting with the message today. He saw a need and he stepped up and he did something about it. And it changed the world around him. And so we're going to get into that story right now. He's just a normal Jewish guy working for a Persian king. Now let's read his story, Nehemiah 1, verse 1 of chapter 1. It says... These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, which is probably in the month of like around November, December, kind of almost the winter, pretty cold. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, who is the king of Persia at the time, he said, I was at the fortress of Susa, the, the fortress, the citadel, the castle in Susa in Persia. And he says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. So this guy, Hanani, which I think is a good Hawaiian name in the Bible. Don't you think so? I've heard people pronounce it Hanani or Hanani or whatever. I'm going, I'm going with Hanani because it sounds more local to me. Anybody? Hanani. It's a, good, it's a good Hawaiian name right there. So Hanani, one of his brothers, came to visit this guy, Nehemiah, um, with a bunch of other men who just come from Judah. Judah was where God's people resided. There was the kingdom of Israel, then it split to a northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. The capital of it was in the city of Jerusalem. So some of his boys, his brethren, his, like, his, his Jewish fellow Jewish people came to visit and give report. And it says this, I asked them about the Jews who'd returned there from captivity, which I'll explain in a minute, and about how things were going in Jerusalem, the holy city. Holy City, by the way, we're going next year, February, to the Holy Land, Anchor Church. We got one bus filled already. This is a life-changing trip. If you're interested, talk to me, talk to Pastor Rob. We got room for you to come with us to the Holy Land. And I love reading the Bible now. I already loved reading the Bible. But now that I've been to the Holy Land two years ago, every one of these places, I'm going, oh, the Holy City of Jerusalem, I've been there. I've seen that. I've walked, I've touched the walls of, of Jerusalem. This is amazing. The Bible will come alive. If you're thinking about that, Join us on that trip. But he's, uh, Nehemiah is asking, how's things going back in, in the city of Jerusalem? They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem, the city, God's holy city, has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, Nehemiah writing, 
I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So here's the backstory. There's this guy, Nehemiah, a Jewish guy in Persia, about 1,800 to 1,000 miles away from the holy city of Jerusalem. He hears that Jerusalem's walls are torn down and in ruins, the gates are burned, which leads them susceptible and open and vulnerable to all forms of attack. They have no identity. They're just like a messed up rubble city. There's a few Jews that are over there holding down the temple and holding for it, but they're just like discouraged. They tried to rebuild the wall before, Enemies attacked them, and they're just like, they're hopeless, and they're bummed out. So Nehemiah is hearing about this, that this wall has now been in ruin for 150 years. I don't know if it's the first time he heard about it, but it's the first time he got it in his heart that he had a burden for the city. He's feeling bad. The people there are depressed. They're hopeless. And Nehemiah's like, oh, man, he's crying over it. He's weeping over it. What had happened, the backstory to Jerusalem and why it was in ruins, because isn't this God's holy city? Isn't this God's people? Here's the story of the Old Testament. God consistently over time saying, you be my people and love me and obey me and I will bless you and I'll provide for you and protect you. And he goes, but if you don't stick with my plans and the 10 commandments and and loving me and and obeying me, then you're open to consequences. My hand of blessing is gonna be off of you and you're on your own. And sure enough, the people disobeyed. They drifted away from God. And as what always happens is, is things fall into ruin. The Babylonians came along, they conquered Judah, they demoed, completely demolished the temple of God, which was, if you're a Jewish person, that is your Mecca, your main connection to God, the way that God established the law back in the day. Everything happens through the temple, the sacrifices, the prayers, all of that. We talked about that before. And so their, their source of worship, demolished. Their city, in ruins. The wall around the city, totally rubble, which means you guys are nothing. You're not even a city. You can't even defend yourselves. They kidnapped and took into captivity all of God's people, the Jewish people, from Jerusalem, and they took them all off into Babylon. Well, the Persian kind of government nation came along, conquered Babylon, and under the Persian reign, like this king, Artaxerxes, they started to let some of the Jews that were in captivity go back home. Just a little bit of them, a few of them, a few percent, three percent of them or so. You can go back to your place, rebuild your temple so that at least you have a little identity, your source of worship, your temple. But the walls of the city were just still trashed and they were open to every invader and attack. This is kind of what's going on. And so now here is uh, Nehemiah and he's in what we would call modern day Iran. He's in Persia in the city, Susa. And everybody's bummed out and they're hurting, all of his Jewish countrymen, until Nehemiah steps up and he does something. And this is what the message is about today, is that Nehemiah basically said, I see something that's wrong. And this is like maybe our hearts for today. That somebody has to do something. Somebody needs to do something. And Nehemiah goes, well, might as well be me. And I think the word for today is that God's gonna put us in situations where you look at injustice or hurt or someone being gossiped about or someone taking advantage of in, in your world around you, wherever it might be. It might be the big, broad world. It might be just in your household. But that God is calling us to say, man, someone really needs to do something about that, it might as well be me. And that God can use ordinary people to change circumstances. There was a time years ago when I was a youth pastor in Huntington Beach, California. And I, was, I lived like two blocks from the pier and in the surfing mecca of all of Southern California, Huntington Beach, California. And I had a bunch of the Huntington Beach High School surf kids. Um, they're all the team members. They all were going to my youth group at the time. I had about 70 of those kids in the surf class and in the surf team in my youth group. I had like 150 kids in the youth group, but they're largely all surfers from this high school. 
And so I used to take him surfing all the time, and I took one of my kids, a little, maybe he was like an eighth or ninth grader at the time, I forget how old he was, took him surfing one day. Went to the spot, there was a nice break, and it was just me and this little kid, and there was one other guy that was out. So we thought, this is great, we barely have to share waves with anybody, just one other guy. We go out in the water, because the kid is like, he's super psyched. You know when you're just a little kid and you're just like frothing on surfing, he's like, ah! So he's, he, plus he only weighs 80 pounds, so he's able to catch like every single wave that comes in, right? So he's catching every wave, and I'm like cool with it because it's my youth kid, and I'm like, good, get as many waves as you want. Other guy in the water, not happy about that. He did not have the joy of the Lord in his heart, and he was not feeling like sharing every single wave with his little kid that just keeps paddling in front of him. So he yelled at the kid a couple times, and I'm like, oh, I told, I told him, I go, dude, just stay out of his way, catch your own waves, like don't take waves from this guy over here, he's bigger than you, you know, whatever. And so he kind of backed off, off for like two minutes, right? Because <laughs> he's 13, he's like, that was pretty long, like two minutes. And um, then he started catching waves and taking that guy's waves. So finally, the guy gets really mad, and he starts busting out all kind of words. You little brother, I'm going to da 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 And he's just paddling for him, just coming towards this little kid. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just going, man, somebody needs to do something about that. <laughs> oh, kid's about to get dirty lickings right now. Like, whoa, that's heavy. And God reminds me, uh, Carl, you're his youth pastor. You're his guardian right now. You brought him. And I'm kind of like, oh, man, somebody needs to do something. Uh, might as well be me. Ah, paddle, 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 get in between them. Hey, buddy, it's all good. Like, go over there, paddle over there. Like, hey, man, it's a, how's it going? It's not worth it. Oh, you want some too? I'm like, no, I definitely do not want any of whatever you're giving to him. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. But I'm like, no. And so I just, I just talked him down, calmed him down. I said, look, the waves are small, not worth it. He's a young kid. You would kill him. It's like, not worth it. He's like, well, I'll take it out on you. No, I'm good too. Like, it's all good. Calm the guy down. And eventually, the guy's like, well, hey, my name's Steve or whatever. I'm like, oh, I'm Carl. Thank the Lord, you know? (laughs) And it turned out that I would see the guy every time I'd go surfing. And we actually built like this kind of like community friendship. I invited him to church before, the whole deal. He never came. It would be cool for me to lie and say, he came to church and he's a pastor today, but I'm not going to (laughs) lie. He never came to church, but I tried. But the moral to this story is this. There's going to come times in your life when you see a need and a burden and you got to stand up and say, man, somebody should do something and you got to just come to that decision. It might as well be me. And watch how you can change the world around you by making that simple decision. So I want to give you here today um, three things that I believe that we see in the life of Nehemiah. I'm not making this stuff up. We're going to see in the life of Nehemiah that allowed him to be a world changer because he was able to accomplish a great goal. We're going to see in the next few weeks what that goal was all about, how he helped the city that was in ruins. But I'm going to give you three simple things that you can do today. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be a king, a prophet. You can be a normal, ordinary person and go, I can do these three things, and I can literally make a difference in the world around me. Here's the first principle that I'm talking about. Write this in your notes. Is just sit down to cry. That sounds kind of funny. Sit down to cry. Sit down to cry. But look at what Nehemiah said when he heard the burden. He saw what was going on. It says in Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. I sat down and wept. You know what Nehemiah did? He got a burden for something that was wrong in the world around him. He got a heart. He allowed something to break his heart, something that, that he saw was a wrong and injustice, pain and hurt. 
but he allowed it to affect him. Don't ever be the kind of Christian that's just like, oh, I'm complacent, I'm like, whatever, better them, not me, like out of sight, out of mind. Like God calls us to act, actually have compassion for the world around us. And don't be bothered by the fact that you have a burden for different things in life. You should be bothered by the fact if you don't have a burden for things around you. You guys know what I'm saying? The, the nature of Christ was, I came to serve, not to be served. And we ought to be looking at ourselves and be going, what breaks my heart? What bugs me? What injustice or hurt or pain is going on? And I'm not saying it has to be in the big wide world, but some of you guys, you're, you're being called to starting nonprofit organizations or going on mission trips or, or sending money to kids in compassion that are hurting around the world or doing that big stuff. But some of us, the problems and the hurt is at our own school. It's in our own office. You see people being gossiped about and nobody's defending them. And you're like, man, that breaks my heart. That's not right. Maybe it's in your own household. But here's Nehemiah, and he, he actually sat down and wept. See, God will always do something in you before he can do something through you. You guys understand that? Like, he has to move your heart to a burden, to a need. Before he's going to use you to do something, you got to get it in you. You got to get a spirit and look around and go, somebody's hurting over here. Somebody should do, you know what? It might as well be me. But you know what it starts with? Is owning in your heart that there is a burden, there's something going on. Nehemiah was a 1,000 miles away. He was comfortable. He had a good job. I mean, he could drink wine and die at any minute, but he was still like living life pretty well. He has access to the king. He could have said, oh, my brothers, my countrymen that far away, I've never even been to that city. I never grew up in that city. The wall's been in ruin 150 years. He could have made all kinds of excuses, but somehow it got into his heart and it bugged him. And it may be in your life that you're looking around you at poverty or maybe there's some crazy stuff going on. You see a, a situation where there's abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse. Could be a situation where there's sexual trafficking going on and you are just blown away, moved to tears that anybody would kidnap anybody else and literally sell a human being to be used for atrocities and that gets into you and you're like, I gotta step up and do something. It could just be that somebody at your office or at your school is getting manipulated and taken advantage of and being bullied and that just, ah, uh, or it hurts you. Or that there could be just a family out there that it's a single mom raising kids and it breaks your heart. I don't know what it, it could be, but God might be moving you to do something. And the first step to be a world changer today, guys, is allow that hurt to come. Allow those tears to come. Is who needs more love? Who in your life, if you look around, because Jesus said love is what makes the world go around. Love is the main point of Christianity. He said all of Christianity hangs on two equal commandments is to love God and to love other people. So who in this world around you just needs more love, that you'll feel that in your life? I told you guys that, that recently, about three or four months ago, I moved into um, a little apartment down in the sketchy side of Kaneohe, the sketchy side of the Fofo, you know what I'm talking about? And it's like a little bit like there's chickens, there's cats, there's domestics going on, like this crazy. There's people that are drugged out in the tennis court or the, the basketball court in the middle of the night in the rain, just, ah, you know, there's like, there's romantic hookups going on behind the building, like next to me, and I look out the window, oh, didn't need to see that. Ugh. You know, there's like, there's a lot that's going on, and I've seen a lot in the past few months that I've been living there. And it's like, I was really scared when I first moved in there, because it was just like, this stuff is happening all around me. And now I kind of like, I can't go to sleep without it. You know, like the chicken's like, arr, 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 2.30 in the morning, and I'm just like, ah. You know, it's like, someone's yelling, ah, profanities, that's so good. Like, I love <laughs> I love my little zone, my little sanctuary. And I love it. I praise God for it. And I found peace in the middle of it. But I like being kind of in the mix of the community. These are my people. This is who I pastor. I just love this. So I'm in there. And all of this stuff is going on. And, and I look at these people. 
because there's been a few that cycle through and the cops scare them away and all of this, but there's, there's people that are homeless and they're out there and drugs is a factor and all of this. But God recently was just saying like, hey, look out the window, look at those people. I'm like, yeah. See that auntie over there with the shopping cart and she's making house in the middle of the basketball court and everything. Like, yeah, that's someone's sister. That's someone's mom. That's someone's daughter. Somewhere there's probably parents that are grieving because they don't know how, what to do. And that's how their daughter turned out because substance and whatever took control. And that's someone's family. See that guy over there, the uncle, he's yelling, he's angry, he's whatever. Someone's brother right there. Could be someone's dad. Could be that there's kids out there in the world somewhere praying hard and trying to love their dad and they don't even know how to reach him. And that breaks God's heart. And it should break my heart. And I look around and I have different eyes now at everything that's going on. And I'm the first step, because I'm, I'm not there with all the solutions yet, but the first step is, do I let it even break my heart or am I just callous and um, I don't watch the news because it's all bad news. I don't like to watch the news because it brings me down, but I watch enough of the news to remind me that we live in a fallen and hurting world. Amen? And that, you know who's called to change it? Christians, because we're the ones that shine the light of Jesus Christ. And so Nehemiah, first step that he did was he sat down to cry. He got the burden. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another. For love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. What's your burden? What's the thing that bugs you? Here's my personal story. I'm going to be talking about this in this message. I talked to a friend of mine months ago, just about where he's at in life. And we're just, it was kind of in passing comments. I just kind of asked, like, how's everything going, whatever? And I think I, he gave me a ride in his car. And he goes, yeah, this car is on its way down. It's about to die. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I, 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 it's falling apart. Uh, the brakes are so bad, only I can drive it. I won't even let my wife drive it because it's scary. Um, all these other things need to be fixed on it. It's got over 200,000 miles. It's, it's on its way down. I'm like, what are you going to do? He goes, I, I don't know. I don't have the money to buy a new one. I was like, oh, okay. And I go, well, how's, you know, how's your wife and how's everything? He goes, well, she's still working her three jobs and I got a few kids and, and I'm working my full-time job. And I was like, oh, well, this is needs, burden on my heart suddenly. Like, hmm. And it was only in passing comment. It wasn't like a big discussion. He just kind of let me know here where he was at. And honestly, as a pastor, I hear a million cases like that a week, every, all the time. And this, I'm in the nature of people and hurting people. But for some reason, this one just kind of stuck with me and became like a burden. And I just kind of let it stir into me and it became this burden. And I'll talk about it more later. But what's the thing that you see around you or the word you heard that's like, it won't go away? And I have a heart for this. You may not outwardly weep tears, but inside you're just going, something needs to be fixed. That's just not, man, I have a heart for this thing. It could be a worldwide cause. It could just be one person in your family or your workplace. But it starts to change the world. Here's what it starts with. Sit down and pray. Here's the second thing that Nehemiah did that we can learn from. His next step, and it's this, kneel down to pray. Like sit down to cry, kneel down to pray. In the second half of Nehemiah 1.4, it says, in fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. You know what Nehemiah didn't do right away after he wept was go, oh, I'm hurting for these people. Here's what I'm going to do. He didn't come up with his own plan or strategy. He said, those people are hurting, but I'm not as smart as God is. I don't have as much power as God does. So I'm going to go straight to the God of heaven, and I'm going to find out before I even get involved, I'm going to pray and ask for him to get involved. Some of us, we see the hurt and the atrocities around us, and we just give a glancing drive-by prayer. Well, God, I hope something happens with that, and that's it. And God's going, you want to change the world or not? You want to really see something happen? 
Ask for me to really get involved. And it says, for days he did this thing. What we believe, because we read the further on in the story, was from the time that Nehemiah sat and began to pray till the time that he acted on something, about four months had gone by. From winter to early spring before he acted, that means Nehemiah, for when he says days, months, he was mourning, he was praying, he was fasting. He's going, my brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are hurting so bad, but I, I'm not going to think that I have all the answers. I better get God involved. And God, I need you here. And he's giving intentional, dedicated prayers. We need to be a people that pray first and take action later. Like we need to react first with going, God, what can you do for me? I love that our church is becoming a pray first culture. That every year, the beginning of the year, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting for the needs that are all around us. I love that this week alone, I had conversation with three different groups or individuals of people, just this week alone, where in the middle of my discussion with them, and we're talking about life and how's everything going, and they're bringing up a need or a hurt or something they see, and not just in them, but with other people. Oh, so-and-so, blah, 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 did you hear about their marriage? Or, or did you know that the job or whatever, someone lost the job or whatever? And three separate times just this week, in the middle of discussion about problems and pain and needs, those other people just said, hey, let's stop and pray right now. And they just interrupted that phone call, that meeting, that one-on-one conversation. Hey, let's pray for it right now. Yes. And I thought back, how great is that that we are a people that as we're in the discussion of something else, we stop and we go straight to God first because we know he has the answers. I love that about the way that this church is becoming a culture where we pray first, ask questions later. So here's what Nehemiah did. He went straight to scripture. Where's a situation in your life where something has broken down, where walls are broken down? Think about that, the burden that you feel, and are you praying about it, or are you scheming and planning in your own thoughts, or are you going straight to God first? The power of prayer is amazing. James 5.16 tells us this. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then it makes this awesome statement. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. In other words, when you, God's people, pray, stuff happens. Like it's a big deal to God. It is not a last resort. It is our first response. We are going to pray hard. And then he gives an example. Like take, for instance, verse 17, Elijah, who was as human as we are. In some translations, it says he was a man just like us. It says he's a normal, again, ordinary people, change the world. Elijah was an ordinary human as we are. Yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Miracle. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Nehemiah gets an answer and a solution to what he needs to do to solve this problem with the walls being crumbled down in God's holy city of Jerusalem. But you know how he got there? Through prayer. Is that there's solutions that are sitting around there waiting out there for you to discover. The only way you're going to find the solution to the hurt that you see is through God revealing it to you. His plan is better than your plan. And if you go off on your own, it's not going to succeed. So pray. So pray on this thing. Is it, here's a really cool quote that I heard from an admiral in World War II, a U.S. Navy admiral, Admiral William Halsey. He said, when it comes to battle, he said this, hit hard, hit first, and hit often. I thought, that's a really good plan of attack in spiritual battle, too, is that in prayer, we should pray hard, pray first, and pray often. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, how many of us were like, just give the little shout out, Hail Mary, last second prayer? And God's going, do you really, really care? Do you really have a burden in your heart for that? Man, you should pray hard, pray first, pray often, keep on praying, because I'm going to reveal to you the answer, and it might just include you being a part of it. 
That's a good word, I think, right there, is that when you pray for a miracle for a situation you see, also pray, God, I pray for a miracle, but I pray that you could use me to be part of the miracle. And it's not a selfish prayer. It's a prayer that says, God, I want to see this thing healed or this person or this situation, this need met. But God, that would be really great if you could use me and strengthen my faith and show me how to pray bigger prayers and get more involved. Could you use me as part of the miracle? So that's what Nehemiah, in essence, said. He goes, man, somebody should do something. I pray that God does something. And God, it may as well, it might as well be me. I want to be part of this thing. So he kneeled down, he knelt down to pray. And that's when the, the revelation came and the solution came that we're about to see in a minute here. Let me go back to the story about my friend that said, uh, my car's about to die. I've got three kids. My wife's got three jobs. We're just in a place right now. This is going to be a bummer. We're going to have to go to one car and we're, we need some financial help, whatever is going on. And it stuck with me. So I let it kind of burden my heart. And the second thing is I just began to pray. God, I'm, I'm bummed at that. That's my friend. I don't like to see him like that. Like, I, I don't know what you could do. It'd be cool if I could meet the need. I don't know how I could meet the need. But I'd love to see a miracle come in. And I just began to pray over several months. And I began to hear from the Lord. And I'm going to tell you what I heard in a moment. But God began to give a solution that actually required me sacrificing something. And I, honestly, I wasn't ready to sacrifice something. I was like, well, I want to pray that something happens. Use me. Oh, you're going to use me that? Nah. I don't know if I'm ready for that one, God. You guys ever been there with that one when God tells you, okay, do this? You're like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't really mean it, God. <laughs> like, I'm standing by. I'll be the alternate, but you send that guy, right? And it was one of those, but I was praying and I took it to prayer, and I, I prayed for it. So here's the third thing. Once you're like Nehemiah, and you go, I got a burden, and I'm going to pray for it. Here's the third thing is, write this in your notes, stand up to do something. It's not enough to sit down and cry, not enough to even just kneel down to pray. But at some point, you got to get in the game. Stand up to do something. Nehemiah cried, he prayed, but then he went to the king, who he was drinking the wine for, and he did something about it. He put his faith into action. Now, here's what happened is, Nehemiah is walking around and he serves in the temple or in the, in the king's court. That means that anybody that's a, a, a servant in the king's court has to always appear happy and positive. And you have to be like, hey, I love you, king. Long live the king. You're awesome. We love your kingdom. Life is really great, right? Because if the king didn't like you, he didn't like the look on your face, he could just kill you instantly. So Nehemiah knew that if he went in sad and grieving for Jerusalem before the king, that the king was going to notice. And sure enough, you know what happened? He's bummed. He's weeping. He's like, oh, okay, give me your wine. <laughs> you know, he's like drinking the wine. And the king is going, what's going on? I've never seen you sad before in all the years you've worked for me. And Nehemiah knew that if the king didn't like him, he could kill him. He already knew that he could die at any moment when he drank the wine. So he knew that he was expendable. So he took a risk. And this is what happened is he went before the king all sad. And this is what happened. It says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 3, Nehemiah replied, long live the king, right? Because the king's like, why are you sad? And he's like, uh, long live the king, you're awesome, right? And the king goes, come on now, I, I see what's going on. He says, honestly, he goes, well, how can I not be sad? The city where my ancestors are buried, my people, my countrymen, my nation, the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? Nehemiah's like, whew. You know, like, that was a close one. He goes, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Here's, here's my point. Stand up to do something. In essence, here's what Nehemiah said in that verse. Send me. God, someone needs to do something. Send me. I'm ready. 
I prayed, I got a burden, I know you can come through. You wanna solve that injustice, Lord. You don't like to see hurt and this pain in this world, but you're counting on me, so you know what? Send me to rebuild the city. Send me, I'll go, and I'll do this thing. He took a risk, he did something, and it's that thing I'm saying, is somebody's gotta do something, it might as well be me. It could be that God's putting something in your heart right now. It could be something big. I talked about missions earlier today and said if you wanna go on a mission trip, go talk to Pastor Tom. It could be that right now you've had a burden for somewhere or for the mission field, or to see the gospel come to different parts of the world, and that you've been praying about it, and maybe today's your day to stand up and do something. Go sign up for that trip. Maybe it's the fact that you just need to get involved in the office, and you need to go and, and defend someone that's, that's been given a bad reputation, and they don't deserve it, and who's going to do it? Somebody needs to do it. Might as well be me. You stand up, and you do something like Nehemiah. God, send me. I'll go be a part of that thing. I want to change the world and the hurt around me. could be something small, like your kid's soccer team needs a coach. Remember that when there's nobody wanted to volunteer for the coach? And you're like, uh, I hope somebody else calls in first. And then you're just kind of feeling maybe today's your day that like you see the need and God's speaking to you. And it's like, okay, send me to be the coach. I don't know anything about soccer, but the kids are four years old and they don't really play soccer anyway. It's like <laughs> magnet ball. They just chase the ball around, right? Like I could do that. Capri Suns and carrot sticks. Like you're good. You're good, right? Isn't that what you do when you're like kids are little? You just, you're snack guy, you know, Oreo cookies and you know, whatever. But maybe it's something simple like that. It's like, just stand up. Just make a difference in the world. There's a need. Step in there. Why? Because you're supposed to look like Jesus. Jesus came to serve to not to be served. And so he requires us to do something. So let me take you back now to my story. My story is one of this. As that my friend, I saw the need, need some financial help, stuff's going on in his life. I started to pray for it. It stuck with me, it wouldn't go away. God began to tell me how I could fix the need. I began to argue with God and kind of say, no, it's probably not me, God. Like, I'll keep praying, but you can use somebody else better than me. I don't really have, I can't really do this thing. And it finally came down to, I was having a meeting with another friend uh, in my office. And in the middle of this conversation with someone else, totally unrelated, God starts telling me in my mind, because I've been praying, right? He starts telling me the solution to my other friend's problems. And he goes, you need to do this. You need to step up, and this is how you're going to do it right now. And I was like, no, this can't be God. Like, I'm, why am I even thinking about this? So I tried to like, get it out of my head. Then I went out, and I, I uh, actually ran into my friend that actually had the needs. And I was like, oh, and God's telling me, do it now, Carl, do it now. I'm like, oh, how many of you guys ever wrestle with God like that? You know that if you say no to God, he will bug you every moment of your life after. You think you're all good. I said no to God. You're just at home watching a movie. In the middle of the movie, God's going, what did I say? What did I say? You're not doing it. You're like, ah, ah, put in my AirPods, like block out God's voice. I'm going to listen to some, some music. And in the middle of it, you're just hearing God going, you didn't do what I told you to do, Carl. You're like, ah, you can't get away from it. So I knew that I had a decision to make. He goes, do it right now. So I grabbed my friend, I went and talked to my friend, and I actually pulled in my office, and I just go, hey, man, so what are your needs? I was hoping, kind of fingers crossed, that maybe my prayers worked and the needs already got taken care of before God needed to use me. I was kind of like, so you still in that situation, you know, with your wife and your car and your kids and everything? And I was like, uh, say no, say no, you know? And he's like, yeah, I'm exactly there. I'm like, uh. And God just telling me, do it now, Carl. And so I literally, I just was obedient. Like Nehemiah, man, I stood up to do something. And, and I'm not telling you to brag. I'm telling you that I got convicted. And if I can't preach a word that works for Pastor Carl, then I can't preach it to you. So I got convicted. And it was a sacrifice. But I stood up and I did something. I said, hey, man, I, I know your situation. You're hurting all of this. And you know, God's going to bless me. I'm, I'm selling my house in a couple months or a month or two. And God's going to give me some money from the house. And 
he said that I can get a new truck so that I don't have to drive my old truck and be triggered by old memories and all this stuff. And God's just kind of like, no, I want you to start over. And I said, and God told me that I'm supposed to give you my truck. I go, you know how much it's still worth on Craigslist? Like, I could use that money for the new one. I go, but you know what? God told me to do this thing. And um, it's the only way that I have right now. God said, you got to do something, Carl. So as soon as that money comes and I'm able to have a new vehicle, I'm like, you and your family can have this truck. And my friend, honestly, he started tearing up a little bit and crying. And I'm like, oh, no, because then it's like, it's contagious. You know, crying is contagious. And you're like, when you see a grown man cry, you're like, ah, get me out of here. You know, I was like, ah. And I'm like, this isn't because I'm anything special. I got nothing. I'm ordinary. And he said, God, just use me in whatever you can. But you know what happened when I gave that truck? And he doesn't get it yet until I can drive something else, you know? But when I give that to him, just the thought of that, man, it changed me. Like, we, we said, hey, thank you, love you, man. And we gave the quick bro hug kind of a deal so we don't get all emotional because that's weird. Two grown men crying in a room together hugging. So I'm like, let's not make this too long. Let me walk out of here. But as I walked out of the room, you know what I felt like? I felt like I was just given a free house. That's how excited I was to give away a truck. That's the weirdest thing in the world. But God says, when you're really living and obeying me and you're really walking this stuff out, you can change the world. That you can't do everything, Carl, but you can do something. You can't change the whole wide world, but you can change this family's world right now with this blessing, with this gift, with what I'm telling you to do. And I'm still on a high as I even tell this story, how excited I am to be able to give and to bless that family and to change the world around me. And I'm asking you, like, what's your burden? What's the thing that you see that you're praying about and that you're waiting for God to say, hey, you know what? You can change the world and it might as well be you. Don't say somebody ought to do something, but it might as well be you. Isn't that a good word this morning? God can use ordinary people to do stuff. Now, yours might not be as dramatic as mine, and that's fine. We change the world one person at a time, and those people go on, and they take what we have, and they change other people. But we're world changers, guys. And it starts with just starting to have that burden, praying about it, saying, okay, God, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to do something. Were you guys a little convicted and challenged today? Because I was. Like, when I have to preach this, and in my life when God tells me to do stuff like this, I'm like, I don't really know if I have the money to do that. I don't know. I can never outgive God. That was a great word and message that Pastor Rob shared last week. Generosity. Man, living generous lives. You'll never outgive God. God's always going to replace and abundantly bless you. Just get risky out there and go and change the world. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you. God, that you move us to do things that could actually change the world. It's crazy that you would use normal, ordinary people like us, Lord, to do things. But that, that's, that's who you think is the most powerful. I think you get a kick out of just blowing people's minds that people that are less than ordinary can, can produce extraordinary results when you are in the mix, Lord, and you lead us. I think you're just so happy to just make that point that you use the weak and the foolish to confound the wise in this world, Lord. And I love that. I love being a part of that. Lord, would you stir in our hearts and would you move us together as a church to go and to do whenever your Holy Spirit convicts us and speaks to us and we see those burdens that we would actually be obedient and we'd change this world one situation at a time. I pray right now too for anybody in the room with every eye closed and head bowed, we're praying here together. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, You've never taken that really big first step towards him, which is not just that you've read your Bible, you went to church. Like, those are good things, but that's not the big one. The big real first step is when you completely say, God, I'm yours. 
and all of me is all of you, and I believe that you are who you say you are, that you have a plan for my life, you wanna make me a better person, you wanna give me eternity with you, but it starts with my surrender. If you've never prayed that prayer of surrender where you're just ready at the point in life to say, okay, God, I'm gonna give you a try. Here's my life, I'm gonna follow you. I believe in what your son Jesus did on that cross, that he died for me, not because he did anything wrong, but he took the hit so I don't have to. I believe that he rose from the dead to give new life to all of those that would believe. If that's you this morning, you're ready to say yes to Jesus and to really become a Christian, to see what he could do, not just in you, but through you, man, I would love to have the privilege of praying with you right now. And this is how we're gonna do it, is I'm gonna pray the words out loud, but I'm gonna ask that you would be praying these words in your heart right now. God looks at the heart, he judges the heart. God looks at the, uh, the heart when man looks at the outward appearance. But right now, let's take care of the heart issue and make a commitment to God. If that's you in this room right now and you're ready to say yes to Jesus and to really become a Christian and just to see what that's all about and see what he could do in your life, if you'd like to pray this prayer with me in a minute, can you just let me know right now that you're gonna pray with me? No one else is looking. Can you just raise your hand right now to let me know you wanna pray this prayer with me? Can I just see those hands going up right now? If you're like, yes, I see some hands going up. Praise God, I saw you. I saw you in the back, I see you. There's a hand over here, there's another hand over here. I'm just looking around, I see this hand right there. Cool, awesome stuff. If you're watching um, in the kids' room back there or in the courtyard, somebody sees you. Maybe you're online watching right now and you're making this decision. God sees your heart. Don't worry about the hand. God sees your heart. But if that's you right now, put your hand down and just pray this with me. As I say it out loud, this is your heart to God right now. Here we go. God, I'm here today and I recognize my need for you. But I realize that life is bigger than just me and I want to be about uh, purpose and identity and actually changing the world around me. Lord, I don't think too highly of myself, but you think really highly of me, and you can do great things in me if I let you. So God, here's my heart right now. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and my separation from you, Father God. All of my baggage, my bondage, my guilt, my issues, my hangups, all of that stuff is that Jesus put that stuff to death on the cross once and for all to forgive me of all of that. And he rose from the dead to prove that he has that power over life and death itself, and that he's gonna give me a new life as I say yes to you, and as I begin to live for you, your Holy Spirit's gonna, get, gonna begin to change me. Now, I'm not gonna be made perfect, but Lord, I'm forgiven, and you're gonna help me walk out this life until I see you face to face in heaven someday. So thank you for being my God. I will follow you all of my days. Thank you that, you, that you're allowing me to come into your family from this day forward. In Jesus' name, the church said together, amen, amen. Can we praise God for those people this morning? Made that commitment.